this week on the Backtable Podcast. What's going to happen is artificial intelligence will continue to improve. I think some of the stuff I'm seeing out of some of these companies, out of these startups all over the world, you're seeing them, they're getting better than the human expert at picking up things. So I think what it's going to do personally, I think in five years, you'll have a center like my hospital, your hospital, where every CT head is going through some sort of artificial intelligence and it's flagging, right? If it's suspected elbow, it's flagging and pushing it. If it's ICH, it's pushing it. So what is that doing? It's pushing it, for example, to me, it's pushing it to the neurosurgeon. And then for, you know, all the mammograms, it's pushing, it's flagging, you know, these 25 cases out of the thousand that were run through. And then a radiologist will review those 25 cases. I actually do believe that's the way it's going. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Backtable podcast, your source for all things endovascular. You can find all previous episodes on our podcast or on iTunes, Spotify, and Backtable.com. This is Sabine Dond as your host this week, and I'm very excited to introduce our guest today, Dr. Amir Hassan, coming to us from the Valley Institute of Neurological Sciences in Harlingen, Texas. Welcome, Amir. My pleasure. You know, before we dive into our topic today, just want to say a quick word from our sponsor, RADPAD. RADPAD was developed by physicians for physicians, clinically proven radiation protection during CINE and digital subtraction angiography. Don't bet your career or your health on anything less. Trust RADPAD Radiation Protection Shield for all your fluoro-guided interventions. See radpad.com for more information. Contact info at radpad.com for a free radiation evaluation and a no-brainer radiation protection cap. Make sure to let them know that you heard it on Backtable Podcast. So... You know, Amir, you're a pioneer in neurovascular therapy, and you're actually the president-elect of SVIN. Can you give us a little background of yourself, and how did you become one of today's leader in stroke therapy? Oh, so it all started when I was a little boy. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> um, so it's, I've always wanted to be a physician, and what's funny is I have, you know, my godfather and, and people in my, in my family are mostly plastic surgeons, and I always mm. liked neuro. And, you know, for me, plastics just, it was a little too uh, artificial, let's say, you know, no yeah. pun intended, but, you know, going to med school and, and working under Dr. Qureshi, Adnan Qureshi, who, who, you know, is my mentor, was my mentor during fellowship and training. We, we, we keep in touch. He just opened my eyes to a, a new field that was just starting in the early, really, you know, they were doing, you know, the things that we do for the heart and the, and the brain. Mercy wasn't even developed yet. I saw the first Mercy device as a medical student. You know, I got to see the evolution of this stuff really from its infancy. I went to the first SBIN meeting ever. And I was still a medical student at the time. So, you know, I got in early. I really had a love for it. And it was just seeing that, that patient-physician interaction. So when, when coming out of my, you know, plastics rotations in medical school, you know, nobody's ever completely satisfied. And I saw, you know, Dr. Qureshi treat somebody and next day we go around on this patient and, you know, the family's hugging him and they're all happy and the NIH dropped significantly. I was like, I want to do this. You know, I had a grandfather who, who got a stroke, completely debilitated, you know, bedridden and then died a few months after his stroke. And, you know, we can make a difference. And, and ever since then, you know, they say like, you know, just the stars aligned and Jay for, for neurology and then Qureshi moved to University of Minnesota. So. After I finished neurology residency, I went there for stroke, neurocritical care, and endovascular fellowship, and then decided to go to a place where there was no endovascular program. I wanted to go to an untapped market, somewhere where I can make a difference, 
uh, for a population. I didn't want to go to a major city where there's already, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20 people doing this. Now, some major cities have like 40 people doing this. So this found the Rio Grande Valley. Dr. Prada was willing to take a bet on a crazy guy like me. Um, <laughs> she had built the first certified stroke program and she wanted to make it into an endovascular program. And she had offered to one of her friends who was currently in San Antonio, who still is in San Antonio. And he just, you know, couldn't, couldn't move down to the valley. And I came and, you know, it just, we quickly built the program that was expected to only do 40 cases the first year. By the third year, they expected us to do 120 cases. We did 440 cases my first year. We do wow. over 1,200 cases a year now. Over 200 mechanical thrombectomies. We're one of the busiest wingspan shops in the country. One of the biggest ABM <laughs> shops in the country. First CSC to, to put artificial intelligence, install Viz AI in a hub and spoke model in Texas in the Midwest. So yeah, we, we've We've had a lot of firsts. We were part of Swift Prime, part of Dawn. You know, that's one of the reasons why I, I work with all the device companies because they all really believed in us early on. I wasn't even a year into the program. And they saw, like, who's this upstart who's using solitaires like there's no tomorrow? And they came and they offered me a spot in, in, in Swift Prime. And, you know, it was, uh, it was really nice. So that's awesome. Uh, we that, work with everybody. We're, we're equal opportunity and we, we just love everybody. That's great, Amir. I mean, congratulations on all the work you're doing. Seriously, I mean, I mean, you guys are definitely just moving and paving the way for stroke therapy. I mean, you mentioned hub and spoke model. What what is a hub and spoke model? So uh, typically, your hub is a is a program that can offer all of the neurosciences treatments, neurosurgery, subspecialties, neurocritical care, neurology, vascular neurology. So, for example, you know, we are a CSC. We were the first CSC south of San Antonio, and we accept transfers from hospitals. And these are from Corpus all the way to Laredo and everything down to the Mexican border. Now, spokes are those 11 hospitals. They're all primary stroke centers. Typically, some of them uh, were not even primary stroke centers and now have become primary stroke centers. And they will transfer to you all your subarachnoids, intracerebral hemorrhage, anything that needs a higher level of care that needs neurosurgical, neurointerventional, or neurocritical care services. Typically, your hub also is a research hub. You know, we have stroke studies, aneurysm studies, you know, endovascular studies, new device studies, NIH-funded trials, device company-funded trials. So your hub is usually your one-stop shop, but geographically, it wouldn't make sense to have a bunch of hubs, you know, and that's why I think the hub and spoke model works in a place like South Texas, where it's a 1.3 million in catchment area. And now there are multiple CSCs, actually, that, that some of them opened about 40 miles west of us. And uh, we actually cover one of them. The other one is, is, is kind of like an island on its own. They do their own thing. But between mm-hmm. the two CSCs we cover, you know, we're covering now 10 of those 11 hospitals, the 10 of the 11 primary stroke centers. Wow. So basically, your, your hub is like an anchor establishment. And these spokes are these secondary establishments that transfer to the hub. You said you have you have eleven. Yeah, there, there's a the, there's a closer center, right? Right. Yep. You're gonna call. We're trying to educate everybody. Be fast or fast. And the T is time to call nine one one. So these people need to just call nine one one, get to the closest emergency room, and then when they're thirty five miles away, they shouldn't be coming to me. They go to the primary stroke center, and then they they get transferred to a CSA. Or Great. The hub. So you know, at these primary stroke centers and and your hub, I mean. How are they communicating with you? Are 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 they using telemedicine? Are they are how how are you 
finding out about these patients? Do they have their own endovascular specialists or stroke specialists or, or how is that getting to you? So that's a great question because they actually are all different. One of the yeah. shops in Corpus, for example, they have a board certified stroke neuro vascular neurologist. They actually have an endovascular guy who only does two weeks of call. So it's two weeks off call, they transfer everything to us. Mm. There are places like the primary stroke center that's down the street from us. They don't have any neurology coverage. And what they'll do is their ER, they use like a SOC type of telemedicine service, teleneurology service. And they know that we are their CSC. So anything that's too high level for them, they basically call us. They have a one number to, to call. And, you know, the tenant transfer center will figure it out and call whoever's on call, whether it's me or my partner, Dr. Techley, and they will transfer the patient to us. There are other centers, for example, in Brownsville, that's a sister hospital. It's also owned by tenant. So they have AI. So for them, they have their own stroke neurologist and, and everybody's involved in the decision, but we get the images immediately. We get the push alerts for the large vessel occlusion alert. And things have improved significantly. And we'll talk much more about that later during the AI session. Definitely, definitely. So you, you mentioned it's just you and another person who at your main hub that's doing a stroke intervention? So yeah, at Valley Baptist Medical Center, Valley Baptist Neuroscience Institute, uh, it's myself and Dr. Techley. Dr. Techley was my junior fellow at University of Minnesota. And then after I moved here, I, <laughs> I quickly that's saw all. how busy it was and, and I brought him over. <laughs> He's a great guy, great partner, definitely a brother in arms in more than ways than one. And then we actually trained somebody who now helps us cover Dr. Georgiadis. He helps us cover McCallum Medical. So he's there for uh, like 17 to 20 days a month. And then we help cover the days that he's uh, off. So it's three of us covering two CSCs. And busy ones, <laughs> busy, busy CSC. Yeah, it, it's not for the faint of heart. Let's just say. No, that. not at all. Impressive work that you're doing. I mean, you know, the, these EMS brings the patient to, you know, one of the spokes or the hub. Now, how, how do they know or what do they use to kind of determine where to go? I mean, they see a patient who has so, aphasia. Oh, yeah, no, this is in Texas. It's it's really good because we have these tracks, right? So we're the track to the trauma regional advisory council section of B. And, you know, the Houston market, Dallas, and Tony, they all have their own. And so for the Rio Grande Valley, we sit on the track B. I was a previous chair of the stroke committee. Dr. Prado was before me. Dr. Techley is the current chair. And what you do is you sit with all the hospitals and you work with EMS. And the idea is the stroke committee said, okay, we are going to create this transfer algorithm for all EMS. And it was originally based on the race score. So race was, was a score friends of Barcelona. And based on whether or not the patient had weakness, aphasia, neglect, they tally up these points. And if it's, for example, a race score of five or greater, you would bypass a primary stroke center and you go straight to a CSC if it's within 30 minutes. Otherwise, you just go to your closest institution. Then I actually invited Dr. Tullum, who invented the van score to our South Texas Stroke Symposium. We've been doing it now for nine years. We got to bring you down, man. It's it's actually a yeah. good meeting. It's a two-day meeting. First day is focused on stroke. Second day is on all endovascular stuff. That's and, great. Um, and then I, the second night, we actually do a black tie event. We call it the, the, uh, the Red Ball, and we raise money for stroke awareness. So very cool stuff. And my wife is, is you know runs the foundation, the Stroke Research and Education Foundation, to keep the money local. And then we do, you know, non- uh, the nonprofit itself does, you know, fast billboards, be fast, you know, things in Spanish and English, PSAs and stuff like that. Back to the question. So then we switched to a van. 
So Trek decided, right? The members, not myself, not Dr. Techley, nobody. It's the, as a committee, they said, hey, we love this van thing and EMS is so supportive. We also invite EMS to our symposium. We want to switch to van. So about three or four years ago, we switched to van. And ever since then, it's van positive or van negative. If it's van positive, you bypass the primary stroke center and go straight to the CSC if it's 30 minutes or less. That's great. Yeah, you guys have your your stuff down. I mean, for our hub and spoke model, I mean, it, it took a while to educate EMS, you know, locally here in LA. And uh, it's it's amazing that your guys' system is so clean cut. I, I envy that for sure. You know, then if they don't go to your hub and you have transfers, this is something that we deal with a lot. How, how do you optimize the transfers from your spokes to your hub? So... So that's uh, very interesting. So we spent a lot of time uh, working on how to improve every single time frame, right? Mm-hmm. Groin to recan, angio suite to recan, CT to recan, door to recan at the primary as well as the CFC. And in all of our you know research we've done, the biggest problem, especially at Spokes, and, and until now, even with AI and how we've been able to improve the times, EMS is one of those pieces that unfortunately we haven't been able to improve significantly. So for the patients who do show up at our door directly because EMS did bypass, you know, we know based on Stratus data that was published in circulation, we are, we, I'll be presenting about this next week at ESOC using the complete data, the complete registry, the penumbra uh, study, looking how direct patients come so much sooner than if you go into your typical, you know, hub and spoke model where they can then get transferred to, to a, a comprehensive stroke center. And in both those studies, the difference is about an hour and a half. So there's a significant delay in treatment if the patient ends up going to a primary stroke center first. Now, in some cases, you can't do anything about it, right? If they go to Corpus, the patient's in Corpus Christi, it's a two and a half hour drive. It's an hour flight, a 40 minute flight by chopper that they're not going to bypass, right? They have to go to that center and then they'll find out that, you know, nobody's call here. They're going to triage the patient appropriately and they transfer to us. What we're finding is in the places that do have artificial intelligence and, you know, for example, Biz AI in our Brownsville location, which is about 25, it's about 20, 25 miles away from us east. They are significantly improving primary stroke center imaging to CSC door and CSC groin puncture time. And we just had a paper published on this uh, topic in interventional neuroradiology, I think a few weeks ago. And, uh, you know, early experience with, with artificial intelligence. And what we're finding is that these patients with, with artificial intelligence, you bypass so many things that occur in a hub and spoke model. And if, you, if, we, if we have the time, let's, we could just dive into it right now. Yep. So basically, you know, in our institutions, most of our spoke centers had this painful process. And when I say painful, it's painful. Um, you know, doing, so let's say, you know, Patient comes in, potential large vessel occlusion. What they'll do is EMS went to them because it's more than 30 minutes to me, let's just say. And then they get the patient. Now, the good thing is most of these programs, because they work very closely with us, they know, hey, NIH six or greater, we're going to do a CT angiogram on this patient. Okay, good. So they evaluate the patient. They take in the CAT scan. uh, They'll decide whether or not to give TPA. Then they'll go to CT angiogram. The radiology tech has to reconstruct the images. Radiologist has to read. After the radiologist reads the images, he calls the ED physician, who calls the neurologist, who calls the CSC on-call interventionist, myself or Dr. Techley, for example. Then I'll say, yes, great case. Yeah, send him over. Then he has to call the house supervisor. 
his house supervisor calls my house supervisor, who then calls me to tell me, hey, Dr. Hassan, have you accepted this patient? And then says, go ahead. And then the patient is transferred. See the number of steps? It's yeah. pointless. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, exactly. Like those are, those are multiple steps. Each one, even if it takes a couple of minutes, I mean, they just add up. And and every minute oh, yeah, counts exactly. time in the brain. So it's time. Oh, no, right. That, that, that uh, 2 million neurons a minute, you know, 1.9 million neurons a minute ages your brain by three weeks. So we know time is, is extremely important. So, and you and I know based on the dawn and diffuse three data, right? Yeah. There are your fast progressors and your slow progressors, but without knowing the patient, he could be a fast progressor. So you always have to assume, um, the worst and the patient's a fast progressor. We need to move quickly. So in our data, we actually looked at November 18 to May 19, which was when we installed Viz. And then we looked at the prior year data at, you know, pre-Viz data. And we compared all the transfers from Valley Baptist Brownsville to Valley Baptist Harlan. And we showed it dropped from 171 minutes to 105 minutes from CTA at the primary stroke center to patient arrival at the CSC, you know, door time. That's so huge. we're talking 66 yeah. minutes saved. Yeah. This was huge. And that directly correlated to good outcomes, right? 55% yep. uh, neuro-ICU length of stay reduction, three and a half days. The, the money-wise, you know, you're saving a lot of money from the hospitals, right? Because hospitals always think about money. Let's be honest. They, they, have a, they have a duty to serve, but they have to be profitable. I mean, it's, it's, it's a business. It's a business. It's a business, yeah. Uh, it, is, it is what it is. So, so if, you know, you're getting a DRG for, you know, mechanical thrombectomy, if you can shave off two, three days off this patient's admission, that's money in your pocket. So, you know, it's for us, we're really excited about it. We continue uh, to look at all the ways that this is benefiting patients. We have a lot of cool stuff. So this data was presented last year at ISC, International Stroke Conference. It was just published recently in Interventional Neuroradiology. We have three abstracts looking at AI, whether it's hub and spoke or directly at the CSC, all being, you know, presented this year. They're all submitted, so we hope they get accepted at ISC this year. And yeah, no, we're, we're really excited about AI. We really do think this is the future of stroke care, and we will continue to improve outcomes. That, that's great. I mean, just for some of our listeners, I mean, we're, we're throwing out the words artificial intelligence. What, what is that? Is, you know, what is Viz? I mean, is it a bunch of terminators going around diagnosing stroke? Like, what, what is artificial intelligence in, in stroke? Okay, so, so no, great question. So let's t take a step back first. So I don't know, you know, I, I love to give talks about artificial intelligence because it's, you know, there's a recent evolution of it and every artificial intelligence was actually developed in the fifties. Okay. It enabled computers to mimic human intelligence, but what they did is they had to make decision trees. That really was just a broad range of artificial intelligence. Then in the eighties, you had machine learning. So you had a subset of artificial intelligence enabled the machines to identify statistical patterns. And that's where your, your games came in, right? Like how you start playing poker on your computer or chess, you know, uh, based on stats, statistical patterns, the machine, you know, plays against you. Today's artificial intelligence is really deep learning. So it's a subset of machine learning and it's enabling the machine to train itself. And what we're seeing is the deep learning is AI enables a system to learn from the data compared to programming, which was the original artificial intelligence in the 50s and the machine learning of the 80s. Today's artificial intelligence is deep learning. So it's learning from the data and then continues to get smarter and looks for things. So 
let's get into, if you don't mind, you know, we could yeah. give you a little two, three minutes about deep neural network. So deep neural network or convoluted neural network, this is a way to teach a system. So for example, let's take um, facial recognition, right? We're not going to use, use stroke. So facial recognition, you have these uh, images, right? The input layer. And what happens is your first hidden layer of your of this network is detecting, for example, geometric primitives. Then the second layer starts looking for complex features. Let's, you know, thick eyebrows, big nose, the, your eye shape. Okay. That's the second layer. Your third layer starts detecting a general pattern for a face. Then the output layer, what it does is it detects the most abstract representation of a face. And that's how facial recognition actually works. So moving that now to to you know, Viz AI and, and current artificial intelligence in acute ischemic stroke is the, the machines now, the, the, the deep learning is getting better than a human expert. And it continues to teach itself and it refines every time it looks at an image and you know, knows that, hey, this was a stroke, this wasn't a stroke. It continues to learn and continues to improve. And now what it's doing is looking for these things for example, the AI currently in ischemic stroke is really just focused on alerting a physician if it finds a large vessel occlusion. That is the AI. The CT portion, CTP, CT perfusion, the automated CT perfusion ma mapping, the view of the CT, the Viz Hub, like the HIPAA compliant messaging tool, you know, Rapid has similar features of all these things. All of those things are really not artificial intelligence. It's the Viz elbow, the Viz large vessel occlusion detection. That is really detecting a suspected large vessel occlusion, pushing in a, like an alert to your phone or your Apple Watch. That is really the, the AI. That's the immediate activation of the emergency stroke systems. You know, there's very good papers out there comparing, you know, brainomics and rapid and, and Viz AI. It's, it's, it shows you that, yeah, all of these things are called AI, but the only one that's actually using AI is Viz. And it's yep. using it as a you know AI independent from Bechtel activation, and that's the way we use it, right? We use it as, hey, I got this elbow alert. Let me go look at the image. Oh, look, Brownsville's got a large vessel occlusion, and then boom, I'm messaging the group on the on the Viz Hub. I'm calling them. Hey, you know, one of our neurologists over there, Doctor Gaitan or Doctor Serdan. Hey, buddy, what's going on? Uh, I see this. Uh, yeah, Amir, we got this case and X Y Z. Okay, we're transferring a patient to you now, and that's it. I mean, we just bypass seven steps. And the patient exactly. comes to the CSC much faster. Exactly. I mean, that's that. You know, we I met you in person a couple. You know, maybe about almost a year ago now, when we were just getting Viz AI at our hospital. Mm -hmm. And I mean, yeah, it it has removed so many steps from all our spokes as far as getting the images, reviewing them. You know, we're not relying on other radiologists to look at the at the imaging. I mean, you're looking at it yourself. You can even plan. The case, you know, and, and oh yeah, you, yeah, and you can look everything. at the arch, you look at the neck, it's, of course, exactly. Yeah. And and I think uh, you know we've mentioned some of the platforms. Viz is definitely the one we use. I mean, Rapid is, is Rapid AI at all, or or is Viz the only one using AI? Well, so so technically, the way you're getting these alerts to your phone is the AI. Now, I, I have Rapid at my center. I had Rapid at McKellen Medical before we got Viz installed a few months ago. So I had them both side by side for like a year and a half. And we, we still have Rapid here now at Mothership at, at Valley Baptist because a lot of the studies like Timeless, Select2, you have to have Rapid. And 
So I, I get to see the boat. It does is it emails me, or if you have the app, it, it, it sends you the the you know the alert that a new study was done. It pushes the CTP image. It pushes you know the the automated aspects. It pushes what their vessel occlusion system looks like on the app or email. Whereas the, the, the step above right now with Viz is this whole push alert to your phone mm-hmm. if it's suspecting a large vessel occlusion. That's what's making it unique. Now, do I think you, you know Rapid and Brainomics and all these other things that are coming out and even independent guys are working, you know, pushing for grants and trying to make like, you know, like what's the word, like a, you know, like a free version that would be open source. Everybody's going to catch up. And, and what I like really... The most about this is I was a I was a big fan of business CT perfusion, you know, maps because it automailed me, you know, an analysis where I didn't have to depend on maybe a tech misconstruing some information or choosing what he thought was an artery or a vein. You know what I mean? Like you remember how we used to build these yeah. things early on during my fellowship was painful. We have to build the CTPs ourselves. So having that automation really helped, but this like took it to another level. And now Rapid has improved a lot of their stuff. I mean, the app yeah. itself has, has improved tenfold over the last couple of years. You think it would have improved as much if Viz wasn't out there or Viz wouldn't continue to innovate like now Viz Recruit and Viz ICH, right? Yep. Rapid is the first with, with automated aspects, you know? So they have, I, I believe they have FDA uh, approval for the automated aspects, right? So I think it's good. Innovation, you know, is, is driven with competition. Yeah, you need the competition to drive this. Absolutely. I mean, you think here, here's a question for you. I mean, do you think any of these apps can determine if a bullet pellet is in a basilar artery? <laughs> <laughs> so that case was actually picked up as something is, is wrong because it, it, it noticed that, right? It, you know how Viz uh, works on the, so what they, what it does is it uses an AI powered algorithm and it's looking for, you know, series identification using metadata and it's, it starts extracting you know the head mask it's imaging analysis it's excluding things it's registering what it thinks is the mca and the m2s it starts segmentation of these vessels and then hey how come the right one stops here and the left one goes over here and then it alerts you that's initially how you know via central how viz elbow works right i'm obviously simplifying it significantly i'm sure chris and and his partners are not going to be happy but that's basically how it works right the center line measurement and it's drawing out what it thinks is the MCA or for, you know what I'm saying? So it's currently approved only for M1 is really where it's picking it up. Now it is getting smarter and, but I, for the Basler tip case, yeah, that's, that was, I'm called by my trauma surgeon. Hey, Amir, can you come look at the CPA with me? I'm like, why? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So now, but to be honest, like, I know, I'm sure you follow Waleed on Twitter and other people who are like, oh, AI is going to be the depth of radiology. I mean, I don't think it's going to be that fast. That's like saying Corendus is going to replace me and you in five years. It's not going to happen. You and I both know that. Mm-hmm. What's going to happen is artificial intelligence will continue to improve. I think some of the stuff I'm seeing out of some of these companies, out of these startups all over the world, you're seeing them. It's right. They're, they're getting better than the human expert at picking up things. So I think what it's going to do personally, I think in five years, you'll have a center like my hospital, your hospital where every CT head is going through some sort of artificial intelligence and it's flagging, right? If it's suspected yep. elbow, it's flagging and pushing it. If it's ICH, it's pushing it. So what is that doing? It's pushing it, for example, to me, 
it's pushing it to the neurosurgeon. And then for, you know, all the mammograms, it's pushing, it's flagging, you know, these 25 cases out of the thousand that were run through. And then a radiologist will review those 25 cases. I actually do believe that's the way it's going. Yeah, it's, but it's basically that, like an you know, aid. There's not going to be any diagnostic radiologist that's, that's absurd. <laughs> I mean, who, who knows what will happen in like 15 years. But the I think well, yeah, I've seen this. 15 years, it could be yeah, different. I mean, it could yeah, be di- exactly. I'm just saying I five mean, to 10 years. We're, the, the, we're okay in that. <laughs> no, the, um, you know, I've seen the app. I, I, have, I can't even imagine how I was doing stroke and, and, and in a hub and spoke model without an app like Viz or Rapid. I mean, it, it's helped tremendously. You know, what, what is the future? I mean, we kind of touched on it, but what, what do you think the future holds with AI and these apps? I mean, you know, sometimes I think to myself, you know, sometimes I get a call from the neurologist. He's like, look, this guy has a, a gaze uh, preference and is aphasic and, and hemiparesis. I, I'm already calling in the team before the app is telling me anything. But where do you see these apps and AI and stroke in the future? So, so I think artificial intelligence will continue to help us improve our hub and spoke models. It's going to significantly improve our imaging to groin puncture imaging to recalization times. I think it will help us to choose those patients on the fence, right? I think as, as a lot of these studies come out with lower NIH or distal branches, you know, things like the, the Tiger 13 are going to, you know, prove that we should be treating distal M3s with, with pretty good safety. So with Viz Analytics, we'll be able to visualize our workflow parameters, improve our, our door to needle times, door to device times, door to recalization times. I think AI and all the tools that we're, we're going to have in our, Armamentarium, we're going to continue to improve time, improve outcomes. I think we're going to be treating more distal lesions uh, using a combination of uh, large vessel occlusion detection and CT perfusion. I think you do need that CT perfusion element to decide to treat an M3. But on the other end, you have you know people like Tudor who, hey, let's take everybody to AngioSuite directly. Every NIH, 10 or 5 or greater, just take them straight to cath lab and do an angio and see what's going on. Mothership, I think things are right now in flux. There's going to be so much that comes out, which is awesome, right? That's why I love yeah. this field. And, and you and I both love doing what we do. It keeps us entertained, right? It's not boring whatsoever. I think for the primary centers that are going to, to this, transferring patients to the CSCs, I think that hub and spoke model will continue to improve. More hospitals will in, implement CT perfusion. More of the primary stroke centers will start doing CTP with the CTA. So that way they decide whether or not uh, they need to treat these patients, whether or not they need to transfer them. More and more, we might be getting connect to place as a treatment, right? Yeah. It's just a bolus yeah. and go. There's no one-hour drip with with like the the d- data showing, you know, extending the window for IV thrombolytics and wake-up strokes. Why should a patient who's going to be two hours away from me not get an IV thrombolytic? Hey, do a CTA. You found a large vessel occlusion. Do a CTP. You find there's a huge penumbra. Give them connect to place and then transfer them to us. And if it opens up, great. The patient benefited. Yep. If it doesn't, then we'll, we're going to take them to cath lab. So I think it's it's just, there's so many moving parts right now. But AI is going to play a role in improving our, you know, onset to recanalization time significantly in the hub and spoke model as well as the CSCs. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the stuff, I, we're, we're buying two new uh, fixed units in, in one of our hospitals. And I mean, this is integrated into the floral unit, even like on a Siemens Icono. It's, it's yeah. there. I mean, it's, oh, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. these things are, it, it's very, very cool. 
And uh, I'm really excited to see it. You're, you're right. In, in neurovascular therapy, there's so much new, so many new devices, so much new developments. It's, it's a very, very exciting field. And, and uh, yeah, th there's never a boring moment for sure. Yeah, well, you know, Amir, thanks so much. I mean, I, I, I think this is a really, really hot topic right now. And, and we really, really appreciate you coming on board and, and participating in this and, and teaching all our listeners about AI and stroke and hub and spoke. So thank you. My pleasure. Thank you very much for inviting me. And uh, yeah, hopefully next time we can get a little bit more into the, the the quantum mechanics and the quantum realm and really go far out and figure out what's oh, going yeah. in 20 years. <laughs> Absolutely. No, no, thanks, Amir. I really appreciate you coming on board. 